Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach, brought to you by the TeacherCast Educational Network. If you are in charge of professional development and looking to build an innovative digital learning experience, this is the podcast for you. Join us each week as we uncover strategies that tech coaches are using to drive their digital transformations one classroom at a time. And now for your host, with over two decades of experience working with tech coaches and edtech companies from all around the world, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 179. We have a fantastic show. Many, many tech coaches on tonight talking all about video production. Specifically, how do you create an amazing YouTube channel? And how do you create videos that people want to listen to and come back to time and time again? I've got some great guests on that are doing just that in the field of coaching and education. But before we get to that, I want to bring on Sue Vincent. Sue, how are you today? Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach. I am great and so excited to be back for another week. And, you know, it's just the whirlwind, as we said last week of January and February. We're hanging in there and getting things done. And I'm so excited to learn from this topic of conversation we're going to have. Absolutely. You know, this topic came up in our coaches network. Uh, we opened yes. up a few weeks ago, a brand new uh, version three, I think it is, of our instructional yes. coaches network. We now have over 200 great coaches in our Facebook group and our LinkedIn group is getting to 60 or 75 coaches or so. If you're looking for more information about how you can join this free and amazing opportunity for professional learning, check out everything over at askthetechcoach.com. And of course, we would love to connect with you. But today is all about coaches, video production, and I want to bring on a good friend of mine, somebody who I get a chance to work with each and every day, Miss Amy Fusarelli from the great state of Connecticut. Amy, how are you today? Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited because today we get a chance to talk all about video production. You're doing some pretty awesome things. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, you've got a great looking uh, YouTube channel, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I try. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm in my second year as a digital instructional coach. Um, I have about 25 years uh, of experience in math and science and engineering. Um, so now in this new position, I get to help other teachers um, kind of navigate through the digital world. And um, creating a YouTube channel has been one of the tools that I've been using and having fun with making. Um, so I'm actually excited to be here. So to learn some more about how to make my channel uh, better. Your channel has been awesome. Not only have you been doing some great videos for school, you've also got a, a fantastic Facebook group that you created uh, right when the pandemic started hitting. Talk to us a little bit about your Facebook group. Well, I started that. Um, I know like a lot of teachers were starting to become um, anxious about going back to work um, right when we were going to hybrid learning. And um, I figured, you know what, this would be a good platform to try to get other teachers to share resources, offer advice, um, give some feedback. And uh, the group has grown to over 2000. Um, so I was thinking like, oh, okay, 2021, I can change the name to something else, you know, kind of like keep the group going, but in a different direction. But technically we are still in the pandemic. So, um, so I'm going to leave that name there for a little bit until, uh, until we go to some kind of normalcy. Oh my goodness. Normalcy is it, you know, the one thing I learned about your group is that it is all about people coming together to support, to help and, People all over the place are looking for ways to support themselves and doing it through video. And I know for myself, one of the places that I go to find some great videos is the new EdTech Classroom. And I am so excited to have two guests today from the new EdTech Classroom. I want to bring on Mr. Tom Gibson and Sam Carey. Tom, how are you today? It is good to see you, my friend. I am doing well, Jeff. It's good to be back. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're doing these days. Yeah, uh, I am a, uh, I, I, this is my first year actually out 
of the classroom. Mm. Uh, I did ten, I had 10 years in the classroom uh, serving as a math and robotics teacher as well as a YouTube video production teacher. Uh, that was an elective that I taught for a couple of years. Um, and now I work full time uh, serving as the creative director of new EdTech Classroom. Really a lot of my oversight um, is, is what we're doing on the YouTube channel, the new EdTech Classroom YouTube channel and the strategy around it and making sure our, our whatever stuff we're putting out there to support teachers um, is as high quality as as we can make it. And you are doing that with a great YouTuber, great educator, Mr. Sam Carey. Sam, how are you today? Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach. Doing great. It's an uh, honor to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I've been uh, following you for a while. You got a great channel over there. Uh, who is Sam Carey? <laughs> Just a regular classroom teacher who decided to start a YouTube channel. So actually, that's a, a uh, you know inspiration to anybody else out there thinking about doing so. Yeah, I uh, was a classroom teacher for ten years in the Bay Area. Taught for seven years in San Francisco, where I'm also from. Uh, middle school humanities, and actually, uh, interestingly, I think for for people uh, to hear, I was a tech skeptic for quite a long time. Um, and uh, kind of came to the world of technology much later, fell in love with it, decided that I wanted to share beyond just my immediate community. And so I decided to start a YouTube and now that's what I do. Sue, there's a lot of great conversations that I'm looking forward yes. to having here today. I know your channel has been going well. Amy's channel is going well. New Ed Tech Classroom is going well. I got to ask you, this is the first question for everybody here, but but why YouTube? I mean, there's so many great things that are out there. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Why focus on YouTube? What is it about YouTube videos that just keeps people coming back for more? I, I, I can start. Me, go for it. Oh, go, go for it, for Sue. It. Jump in. <laughs> well, for me, and then I'm going to definitely throw it to Sam. For me, it's just the things that are out there. I mean, years ago when YouTube was first coming out, I just remember being amazed. I'm like, hey, I can find old stuff and I'm a huge TV buff, classic TV buff, 70s, 80s TV. And you know, I was finding stuff that I'm a nerd that way. I was finding stuff that I enjoyed that I hadn't seen in years. And that's what YouTube is, is whatever interest you lie in. If you're an Olympic buff, you can find things out there. And it was just fascinating to me. And so, and as we grew as educators and it became an, place for educators to gather and find information that's been huge to get our stuff out there and be able to share with teachers. Yeah, I agreed. I, 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 I was interested in YouTube from the get-go because it's a visual medium and I had been creating screencast tutorials for my students and saw how much of an impact that had in terms of helping them understand how to use technology. And really when I looked around me and my broader community in San Francisco, in spite of being the innovation, supposed innovation capital of the world, <laughs> very few people are using technology in the public schools. And um, there's a huge disconnect between the world of tech in San Francisco and, and the world of education. And I felt inspired to share with people how I was doing things in my classroom from a realistic in-class perspective that included all the nuts and bolts implementation details. And I felt like the best way to communicate that was through a visual medium. And when I got into YouTubing pre-pandemic, especially, there were very few ed tech YouTubers. Um, you know, there, uh, you know, uh, Sethi uh, DeClerc was making videos for Flip Classroom and of course, um, John Sowash mm -hmm. and a few others, but, um, you know, it seemed like a pretty wide open space. And actually I think it still is a pretty wide open space for people creating visual content, uh, that can be, you know, something people can watch in 10, 12, 15 minutes and learn a new skill, learn a new tool. It's interesting that you say that when I think of educational, um, people on Twitter or educational people on YouTube, I would say you do have two different categories. Um, and you mentioned a few, you know, you've got a great channel. John Sowash has a great channel. I think of Jamie Keats and what he's doing. There seems to be educators that are making really great videos for the classroom. And then there's educators making YouTube style videos. Where would you say new ed tech classroom is? 
I would say that we're definitely in the in the camp of of YouTube style videos um, because the YouTube style video is really a video that's designed around keeping the attention of of the person that's watching. Now, for us, it's not only about like how can we make this as fast paced and high, you know high energy and whatever that is, but it's more about like how can we you know take the things that would typically be shared in a forty five minute to an hour long live stream webinar and condense it down into 12 minutes where it doesn't feel rushed, where if someone wanted to go step by step, they would be able to do that. And and we're, we're being as thoughtful as we can about like, what do we show here? What do we show there? What can we do as far as the thumbnail and the title and make it something that people will see and be like, okay, yes, that answers a question that I have. Or, okay, yes, I'm very curious about that topic in educational technology based on what I'm seeing on this title and thumbnail. And so it definitely takes a lot more work um, and a lot more iterations and everything like that that but tied to your other point of like why YouTube over all of these other platforms is YouTube is a search engine it's the second largest search engine behind Google nobody goes to Facebook to look for how to use a technology technology tool no one people go to Twitter to discuss different things but no one's looking for an in-depth tutorial on Twitter on TikTok, on Instagram they go to YouTube because it is a search engine and so it, it seemed like the ideal place to put the type of content that uh, that we're putting uh, with new ed tech classroom and and what's your thought process behind that i'm curious i mean i know over the last 10 years with TeacherCast, i've toyed back and forth with you know in this video you're going to learn and it's just a screen and then there's the times where i'm trying to be mr youtuber and i've got the thing going and all that stuff and then you cut to the screencast and does one work more than the other is it just a style do you find that a teacher's gonna go to one versus the other because if you really just want to know how to make a Google Doc, your both videos are certainly fine. What, what's your philosophy on that one? I think we really try to take the approach, uh, which is kind of conventional wisdom in the educational space, but like broader educational space in YouTube that you got to give people a chocolate carrot. So you have to show people something that looks like chocolate that would be intriguing, something that solves a problem, something that they would immediately uh, be drawn to and then give them some carrot in the middle. So we're not making a lot of YouTubes that uh, YouTubes, YouTube videos um, that I sound like a grant, like my grandfather, you know, YouTubes, <laughs> the YouTubes, you do the YouTubes. Um, we're not making a lot of videos with titles with that are really jargony that have pedagogy in the title, but the pedagogy is in the video. So we're looking for ways to make, this appealing to people uh really you got to work on the book jacket and thinking about the thumbnail and the hook and things like that and then within it you can have some of the more rigorous material and give the people you know give people what we feel like they actually need with some of the harder pedagogy but you know i'll also turn it over to tom because i mean this is something we talk a lot about right like it's not at, we don't have a clear answer in terms of do you start with a screencast do you start with a talking head, you start with uh, B roll, you know, we kind of experiment with all that stuff. Yeah, I think also like when I go to YouTube, like I, I want to, I want, if I'm watching a tutorial, I want it to be, if, if they could say what they're going to say in nine minutes, I'd rather them to take nine minutes than, than 15 minutes. And so for us as creators, we're trying to think like, where are the parts that we can shave things on? Do we have to explain everything to this person? Um, and as far as like, you know, for us and our goals is like we we create this content and we're, we're creating a business around this type of content that we're creating as well. And so we're, we're hoping to to get this information, get these, these things that we're teaching teachers, not only just as far as ed tech tools, but just the pedagogy and how do you create these 21st century classrooms and these transformative learning experiences for your students. We're trying to get that in front of as many people as we can. And part of that is going to be like, okay, how can we make this as not only as in, as, as informative um, and educational as we can, but how can we make it as as entertaining, as, as digestible as possible? So that way YouTube will see that and be like, oh, lots of people not only clicked on this video, but they watched to the end. So we're gonna go ahead and recommend this content to other 
teachers that watch similar types of content. Now, if we have really long drawn out videos and we don't really have much personality in it, then we it does, it may not capture the audience as much. Maybe they're like, all right, I got what I need and they move on. And so it's a mix and a balance uh, of trying to create this brand that people kind of recognize us for. Um, and so helping us also get in front of more people to hopefully spread the message of creating these transformative classrooms to more educators uh, that are going to YouTube. You're, you're, you're talking about a lot of subjects here, and I want to start to pick out a few of these things before we get into that. Amy, talk to us a little bit about your channel. When you're creating videos, do you have an audience in mind? Or like, I know sometimes you create a video for your teachers in your building, which is awesome. Yeah. I, I saw recently you had a really awesome video on how to do PowerPoint Live. Talk to us a little bit about the philosophy, like what goes into your process of creating videos? Um, well, I think it's changing. Uh, originally, I wanted to do like quick little three minutes or less. Um, I noticed that a lot of the teachers I was working with, they don't have time to really sit through uh, a 40, 45 minute video. Um, and so what I would do is I would learn something new and I would test it out. And then I would try to break them down into small little segments so that teachers can say, okay, I'm going to try this first. And then they can play around with it when they're ready for it. They can um, go on to something else. But now that with my new position as being a digital instructional coach, um, it definitely needs to take more than three minutes. So now I'm kind of in the works of redeveloping um, how I want to go about like creating uh, a new channel that's not just three minutes or less. Um, so I got to tell you, I watch a lot. Actually, Sam, you saved me during the pandemic. So <laughs> when I, we were all just shut down, I'm like, I don't know how to do any of this. And all I did was watch, I put on my TV, I put the YouTube on my TV screen. I would clean the house, cook, whatever, and just watch all of your tutorials. <laughs> and they were just amazing. I shared it with a lot of teachers. I actually shared one with my principal and he's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Let's do a training on it. So um, needless to say, one thing leads to another. I took your courses and now I'm in your new course. So um, <laughs> I am learning so much and I just really do think um, that's where I am today. And so it's because of all everything I learned. So that's kind of where I want to I want to go. My my videos are not as professional looking as as yours right now, but like um, that's the kind of direction I want to go. And I want to give nice little short, sweet hook kind of, um, that just keeps teachers who are very new to technology to keep learning. You know, a Amy basically said when she's looking at this and I think about this too, and Sue and I talk about this all, all the time, like you have to know your audience, right? If your audience just wants a 90 second video, use it. If you're, if you're video, if your audience is looking for YouTuber style things, do that. I mean, Sam, how do you know who your audience is? I would assume it's changed over the course of your YouTubing, YouTubering. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I, I've always definitely had at least a projected image of the audience as people that care about pedagogy first, people that believe in high quality research-based instruction first and are interested in how to power up that instruction. So I'm kind of always speaking to uh, in that type of audience. Um, and I think that is reflected in the folks that do take our courses like Amy and, and people that come to our uh, webinars and things like that when we get to meet people tends to be people who are more experienced uh, teachers who are actually pretty knowledgeable about a lot of research-based instruction. They might not know quite as much about technology um, and are looking to learn because they care so much about making sure that their instruction is accessible for students and relevant and authentic um, and are constantly looking for ways that they can revise their practices. And I mean, it, uh, you know, not to sound like I'm creating it for an audience of me, but that, that was me too. You know, I wasn't the tech person first. I was the instruction person first. And I think that tends to be um, our kind of ideal audience and, and definitely the people that are the most engaged with our content. There's a lot of stuff that goes into this YouTube channel. I'm going to, we're, we're doing this on a video call here. So I'm going to pull up the, your, your channel here. And I noticed if you look at where new ed tech classroom has been over the last few months you got a lot of great content 
Sam, I met you because you were the guy that was bitmoji on all of the things, and that's what attracted me to you. But now I'm noticing, you know, we talk about, you've talked about a lot here, visual thumbnails, et cetera. Guys, I got to ask, and I'm going to put you on the spot. How much time do you spend posing in front of the camera for these still shots for your thumbnails? What What is that like? I, I haven't been able to figure out if I would want to do this. <laughs> but you guys are, I, I, I just love all the little poses. What does that look like when you do a camera shot? Does your family come in and see you posing in the air? What is this process of creating these thumbnails? Tom does it once and then it's got like the perfect version. I do it <laughs> 10,000 times. <laughs> I think the, uh, as far as the time part, the time commitment really comes into like going into Photoshop, like, um, really kind of thinking like, how can, like the biggest thing that we, we were noticing for a while is there's just so much text, you know, and how much of our, just, are just, we're just scrolling. We're not going to read all of that text. And so we're just trying to think like, okay, how can we, how can we not only communicate what this video is about, but how can we kind of spark some kind of curiosity? And, you know, there's all this research that shows like, you know, people react a little bit more towards faces, but it also kind of depends on your channel. And so we've experimented with a couple of them that, that don't have us in there. And then a couple of them that do have us in there. And then we go into the analytics and we do all sorts of like just research, see like what's working and what's connecting with people on the hopes of again, like just getting in front of more people um, and also presenting a high quality product from the get go, right from the start. Um, and sometimes that's a real simple thumbnail. Sometimes it's it's one that takes quite a few iterations. I take a picture and I do the thumbnail and I send it to Sam and he's like, I don't know, I'm kind of confused by this. And I take it back and then I do this. He's like, okay, yeah, that's great. And then he'll do the same thing. Um, and so it's definitely an iterative process, but, um, it, it comes back to your goals. You know, do you want to make YouTube videos to support your teachers and, and that's really it? Then, then those are different goals than, you know, a company that's trying to grow their business on YouTube, you know? And so with us growing a business on YouTube, our goal is to, to get in front of as many people to kind of learn the algorithm of YouTube. And so much of YouTube comes down to a title and thumbnail game. You can have a fantastic video, but if people aren't enticed to click on it based on how you've titled it and how you've set up the thumbnail, then then people won't see that video and see all the effort that you put into organizing this instructional strategy for other educators. And so that is kind of the the, the mindset behind it, why we do choose to spend uh, a, a lot more time on the thumbnails. Um, and it's definitely not an exact science. It's kind of like the ones that we think sometimes are gonna be awesome or like <laughs> that didn't do, you know, that didn't do well. Was it the title? Was it the thumbnail? Was it the subject? It's hard to always know why, why maybe a video didn't get as many views. Um, but then sometimes the ones that were like, eh, that one's okay, and then it ends up, you know, doing really well. Talking today, to, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, when I looking back through those that you flashed up, I, I'm like cringe. I hate the old <laughs> thumbnails. I used to slap them together, and you know, five minutes or so before, I didn't give a lot of thought to them, and they're so text heavy, and it it looks like a rainbow of colors, you know. So I, I think that's part of it too, is that you do something so many times that you kind of get tired of your own stuff. And you just, for the sake of doing something new and like, that's what creative people do. I think, you know, just kind of try different things. So that, that kind of, I, I got so tired of that style that we decided we're going to do something different. And I what, think these are great points about evolving and knowing your audience and being willing to learn. Like Amy was talking about, you know, she started out way over here, very simple. And now she's evolving and, you know, changing her channel as she moves forward and even with the whole thumbnail process, I've been doing my YouTube channel for a couple of years, started out just for my teachers, just like Amy's. And, you know, I'm trying to build a more global audience. And literally in the past, I try to do one video a week. And literally just in the past four or five videos, I have stepped out into Canva and started developing a thumbnail process. So literally I've been doing this for two years and, you know, mine's not out there as globally as you guys at all, but I'm just now discovering the thumbnail process in watching you guys and other people out there kind of being the example. So if you're a tech coach out there and you're just starting out and wondering how to do this, building your brand or just doing it for the teachers, it take your time. Don't think you have to jump in and be fancy, like, you know, experienced people out there. Let's talk about some of the questions that come up often in our instructional coaches group. Um, apps and equipment, right? Amy, when you're putting together your, your screencasts and stuff, um, what do you use? What's your favorite tool? Do you have a favorite for 
I'll say professional style versus even classroom style. I mean, if you were working with a teacher, would you recommend something? If you're doing it home for yourself, would you recommend something else? What's in your quiver? Um, when I make my videos, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I do it very simple. Like I do a screen recording on my Mac and then I upload them into WeVideo and then I, I, you know, I, I'll take slides and change them to pictures and upload them. Um, so that's basically how I do it. But I, I definitely need to learn uh, more tools because I feel like um, I, I, I read more about and learn more about Screencastify. So I want to learn more about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I right now I'm very basic. I, I'm in the beginning stages. And when you put your shows together, do you plan them out? Do you have a do you, do you have a script? Do you have a vision for what this looks like? Or I mean, for some of the stuff I do, I plan it out. And for some of the stuff, I'm just kind of winging it as we go and building the cake as the as the oven's on. Uh, I definitely don't wing things. No, I'm a very I'm a planner. I'm a big planner. Um, I I like to plan everything out on on slides on Google Slides, and I just kind of create from there and then just talk through it and um, you know, do my tutorials that way. Um, and then the end, you just kind of add, I like the background music cause I feel like if there's background music, people are more apt to like, like pay attention to it and listen to it throughout the whole entire time. What, what led you to choosing we video? Well, I mean, that's one of the platforms that our district, um, is using. And so as being an instructional coach, we have to kind of, um, teach students and teachers to use what the district is um, giving us. And so I figured I would start making my tutorial videos using WeVideo. I mean, I've done iMovie before. Um, I've tried Loom a couple of times, but I really have grown attached to the, the WeVideo. When you're finished with these videos, do you feel that your YouTube channel is the place to go? Do you then take those videos and you're housing them somewhere else? Do you have a tech coach website that you push people to? Like, what is your production process at the end? Um, I, I go right into YouTube and then I just share the videos from there. Um, just I found it to be the easiest way to do that, to share with teachers. What and, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of put you on the spot here, but. I know you've been doing this for a while. I know you're looking ahead. Do you have video goals? Do you have YouTube goals? Are you making content just because you want people to enjoy? Like, where do you see your content evolving over the next, you know, six, eight months or so? Um, I don't know. I mean, right now it's, it's really just to help the teachers, um, that has a resources, but I, I do have to say, um, what Sam and, and, and Tom, what you guys have created. I mean, I just think, that's the direction if I was to end up on some kind of tutorial, um, just basically, I mean, for me, it, it, I find it to be very easy to follow. So I want to make sure that my content is very easy to follow for beginners. Um, and I do like the flashy and the colors and, and, you know, that really like catches me too. So, <laughs> so that's the kind of route I like to go in. Tom, how about yourself? I mean, we, we, you and I have talked about video content for a number of years now. How, if you were starting off a YouTube channel, I know like we're looking at each other. We've all got some really cool things in our studios, but if you're starting out, what do you need to create a, a, a decent video, a decent YouTube channel? And you can talk equipment, you can talk apps, wherever you want to take this. But if you're starting off, what do you suggest? Um, I would say if you're just starting out and you don't have any equipment um, and you're doing any kind of just, you know, talking to the camera stuff, your your cell phone camera um, is going to be better than a lot of other like, you know, even webcams, um, like even, you know, $100 webcams are not as good as what you're going to get from your phone. Um, and there's even apps out there that you can use your phone as a webcam. Yeah. Uh, there's one called Camo, C-A-M-O. That's right there. It's like a little blue one. And you can use your, your phone, I believe wirelessly I just downloaded it wirelessly as a webcam um, which is kind of cool and screencastify I would say if you're doing any kind of screencasting tutorials and you just want something that's free and it's simple or not well you know they've got a free plan um, but you want something that's simple uh, the 
I think they have the most, I haven't played with Re Wii video, but I, I really like their editing software. Um, whenever I have a video, a screencast that I do, that I'm gonna use, but I don't wanna have to like, you know, record it in a really fancy program and bring it into Premiere Pro and then re-export it out and stuff. Um, but I would like some editing features, then Screencastify will do that. Um, and then if you have a really big monitor, um, you can actually, I think a lot of people don't know, like your screen size and your screen resolution is is really what your, the limit of your own video resolution is if you're doing a screencast. And so if you have a really big monitor with really high resolution, record on there because then your video can be really high resolution as opposed to recording maybe on a Chromebook or recording on a, like a 13 inch MacBook Air, um, unless it's maybe a newer one that still has a really high resolution. Um, that, that can help you improve the quality because sometimes you'll see a screencast and it's like, it's a little bit pixelated and stuff, but that's one thing that you can do um, just just record on the biggest screen and biggest res highest resolution that you have available to you so those would be what I what I would use to, to start out with um, and and at, whenever we do something more you know professional for our YouTube channel um, we're using ScreenFlow, um, which is about a hundred dollars and it's definitely got a, a learning curve to it um, but that's how you do like the cool zoom ins on the screen you mm -hmm. can kind of make stuff like blurred out or you know background and arrows and stuff like that it's very dynamic Dynamic. It's like when you see like a Google commercial when they're like, you know, zooming in, it's real high resolution and they're real, you know, so that's, that's my inspiration of like, okay, how can I make our screencasts look like a Google commercial? Like that's my goal. I, I, I love that you just mentioned that I've been a ScreenFlow user for 10 years and I always find that I go back and forth. I, I record everything in ScreenFlow and then I pop over to Final Cut and then I mm. drop it. Like I'm always in these different things. Yeah. Tom, how many different applications might one video go through if you're popping in and out of these different things? For the most part, everything happens in ScreenFlow and Premiere Pro. Uh, we edit right. the thumbnails in in Photoshop. Um, there's a there's an app called or website called ThumbsUp.tv, and what's really cool is you can actually take your 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 thumbnail and then you can say what your title is going to be, and then it shows you all the different views of what that thumbnail is going to look like depending on if someone's walked if they see it on their homepage, if they see it on suggested. Because sometimes when it's real small, and you're like, oh, the title gets cut off if they're seeing it on suggested on mobile. So so there's lots of little websites and stuff like that that we use for every video. But as far as the actual apps, the production apps, ScreenFlow for any screencasting stuff, um, and then Premiere Pro, um, typically if there's going to be any talking head involved with it as well, um, that to, to kind of finalize everything out. Sam, we've been talking about applications, equipment, and things like that. I, I think from anybody who wants to start off with YouTube, it's intimidating, right? To have all of these different things. I don't know how to do Photoshop. Screen flows a hundred bucks. Can you be successful on YouTube for free? For free? I mean, it depends on how you measure success, right? <laughs> I mean, um, once you can create a video for free, um, you can also create a video that you just spent $20,000 purchasing equipment for. And, you know, it's going to probably get the same amount of views as the video that you just made for free when you start on YouTube. So I think uh, it's far more important on YouTube in particular to just get started, just putting up content. Uh, you can do it. Sure. For free. Um, you could do it with, like Tom said, with your camera, if you already had that and, make a you know, pretty high resolution video. You can use some of the free applications and do some screen recording. Um, but the more you get into it and learn, the more you're likely to start spending money. But I would never recommend that somebody go out and drop a bunch of money on equipment to start. You're probably not going to know why uh, you, know, you should buy that equipment if you don't know a lot about making videos. But I think more importantly, that also doing so kind of emphasizes the veneer of videos and those types of channels just, they never end up being successful. You know, I had relatively low quality equipment. I mean, if you go back and watch my early videos, they're pretty low quality overall. Um, I knew nothing about creating videos. Literally the first time I ever sat down and shot a video of myself was the first video I ever created. That was the first time I ever edited a video in my life. The first video that I put up on the channel. Um, so it's not the quality necessarily that resonated with people. It was, you know, my personality and content. And so prior you know, definitely prioritize that 
as opposed to spending money. After we have our videos, the question always becomes, how do you promote it? How do we get things out of here? Um, Sue, you do a great job on Facebook. I see all your videos. You're pumping out you know, your stuff every Tech Tip Tuesdays and things. Sue, what's your philosophy on promotions and how do you get people to keep your eyes on your videos? Well, first, I promote it out to my teachers and I put them in our just school-wide Facebook group and kind of encourage them to watch them because hopefully what I've covered that week is something that has arisen. But then I just get out there on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and just talk about it. And, of course, I have a scheduling app that I use for my social media um, applications called I use Cold Schedule. There's other ones out there, Hootsuite, um, Missing Letter, what have you. There's various ones. And I schedule them to just pop up every so often. And, you know, some of us might think, well, that's promoting yourself, but you know, that's how we build our brand as an educator. And then others might say, but you're putting the same thing out there week after week. But use intervals as to when you have those posted, because different people, you know, those algorithms and social media, different people are going to see that at different times. And, you know, if you kind of let Facebook pick what time it's going to post or Twitter to pick like I love co-schedule because you can just pick best time and it'll use the algorithm and try to post it at the best time where different people are going to see it and more people are going to see it so I've just kind of learned those strategies after again watching these guys and some other of my favorites out there who are great YouTubers and what's your philosophy on all that stuff? I, I've, I've watched your channel grow. I've watched your channel move. I see you on all the different things. Where do you find the most traction? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say Sam? Sure. Sam. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I actually used to spend a lot of time promoting uh, cross platforms and, um, I actually wouldn't recommend that if you have a limited amount of time, I'm not sure I'd recommend that as a strategy. Um, actually algorithmically you're, um, you know, when you're on a platform like Facebook, Facebook and YouTube, they don't like each other. Right. So if you're trying to make good with the Facebook algorithm to push people off platform onto YouTube is not going to like get you in the good graces of the Facebook algorithm. Now, if you're organically posting stuff to Facebook and then promoting it within that platform, sure. Um, but I actually think we used to spend far too much time, uh, cross promoting content. And I, um, you know, when we go, we try to apply the 80, 20 rule and look at, okay, what's the actual 20% that's actually making an impact. And really when we look at, you know, our promotion of, of say YouTube video content on other platforms, that's not really like moving the lever for us. I think, you know, it's, it's less, um, maybe conventional wisdom, but people would be, more likely to grow on their YouTube channel if they actually just focused on making the most optimal content, the very best content possible for YouTube and let YouTube do the work of pushing out your content. You know, I could work for 24 hours a day promoting my stuff on every single platform and that's not going to grow my channel at all. But really what made the channel grow was actually when YouTube decided we're going to put this content in front of people. Um, and I, please that algorithm. So that, that's the, that's the advice that I would give people actually don't worry too much about promotion. Something, did, that, we, something that we, we started doing a lot more, um, was almost like using YouTube, your own videos to promote your other videos. And so at the end of our videos, um, most people will say, you know, like, Hey, be sure to subscribe, be sure to like, you know, it'd be great if you shared this. And there's four other videos that are showing up on the screen and you're, you're, you're giving, you know, way too many like call to actions to, to the person that's watching. And so at the end of every, our, our videos, we think, okay, like what, what video do we already have that would be a very natural next step video? Maybe we're talking all about, you know, different screencasting apps that you need in the classroom. And 
then the last one that we talk about is Screencastify. And it says, okay, so we think Screencastify is the best one. And we actually have this video right here where we talk about five different tips that you may not know of what you can do in Screencastify. So we'll see you over there. And so like, that's the only thing. We're not asking them to subscribe. We're not asking them to like, we're not asking them to comment. We're not, you know, like it, we're, for those videos, the goal of that video was to push people to this other video that we have that they might find valuable. And then what YouTube also sees is like, oh, that they're one, they're a lot more likely to actually click on that video if you you say click on that video right there on the screen and YouTube is seeing this video is causing people to stay on YouTube and watch more YouTube. That is good for YouTube. We are going to promote this video who are, are, to people who are interested in this type of content. So we're using YouTube, our videos, our new videos to, to promote former videos and being very mindful of which video is gonna be on that end card of what people can click on that we even write it in the script and we we even we even point it out on screen um, as that's going to be a lot more a lot a higher conversion rate Th that is so important no knowing how youtube works knowing how to get it i mean I'm, I'm guilty as everybody else of hey like subscribe and comment and all of these different things i think even on my current end cards it says please leave a comment at the bottom but doing something a little different does make the difference on all of that yeah, and there is a place for leave a comment. You know, if this is a video that I'm really trying to build the community around the YouTube video, maybe I don't put up a, don't tell them to subscribe, don't tell them to watch this video, but my one call to action is, hey, I talked about this in the video. What I want to do is down there in the comments is write this, you know, answer this question, you know, and it's very deliberate still about like, what are they writing in the comments? And it still is that one call to action, but with just a different goal. Instead of promoting an old video, now I'm kind of building the community in the comment section for this video. Amy, you know, I'm learning a lot about YouTube. What do you think about all this? Do you have any questions here that, uh, you know, we're all just kind of having fun tonight? Yeah, I actually like that. What um, I've always wondered where it says on the top of the YouTube, it says click on this. And you're right. I, I keep clicking and I keep and I'm like, oh, wow, that makes so sense. I got to figure out how to do that on my Draw YouTube. Me. <laughs> um, but one of the things, too, is I notice, and I don't like the way I sound on videos. So is there a particular microphone that maybe could um, just, you know, sometimes I sound like I'm really close and then I'm really far away. And then is there a microphone that kind of like keeps it in the voice level neutral or, I mean, or maybe I just need to change my voice. I don't know. <laughs> you have the right guy on right now because Tom is a trained audio technician. <laughs> It's actually, I would say it's more about where you're placing the microphone. What kind of microphone are you using right now? Um, honestly, right now, I'm just using when I do screen record on my computer. Um, and then there's one that I have at work. But Jeff, you're the one that bought that one. So I don't know the name of that one that I've been using as well. I would actually recommend, um, and Tom helped me with this, uh, if you, anybody out there interested in upgrading the quality of your videos, the number one thing you can do is, is upgrade the quality of your audio. Um, and he, we, we researched, we use different microphones, but I got this Rode Wireless Go and uh, let's see. And I hooked this up to, so this hooks up to, um, my camera. And then it also, I, what I do is I clip it onto my, the other piece onto my belt buckle. Um, and then I use a lavalier mic now because what was happening is I used to use this blue Yeti that I'm using right now, but particularly when I was green screening, I was trying to get it out of the way. And then I would have that issue where my voice was far away and close up front and different things like that. And if I have the lav mic that allowed Tom and I to calibrate it perfectly like it needs to be at this distance we need to set it at this volume actually look at the decibel levels on um premiere pro to check it make sure it's it's exactly the way that we want it to sound and now i know with you know 100 percent predictability that my sound quality is going to be good so I would that's and that's something that dogged me for a long time. You know, I'm like my sound, it's echoey and I'm in these terrible rooms, like a huge classroom or, you know, like I just didn't have a great space for sound and didn't know a lot about it. So, yeah, I highly recommend uh, just getting some kind of lavalier mic or, um, yeah, some something that will upgrade your sound. OK, thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I would add to that, like the a lot of it is also if you don't, because the 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 lav mic that Sam has, I think what is that like two hundred dollars or something like that. Um, there is like another one that uh, it's not a lav mic, but it's just a it's a small microphone that you can put on your on your desk um, by a company called Fifine F I F I N E, and it's like forty dollars. Um, and that's actually what I used for a ton of my videos for whenever I made videos for my students um, when I made them at school. Um, and so one. Try to film your videos in a room that is carpeted, if you can. Uh, like in the room that I, I'm in right now, it's carpeted. I can draw the curtains because um, anything that's a flat surface, actually, you know, that's where sound kind of gives that echoey, you know, sound. Um, and then if you do have an actual microphone outside of your of your of your computer, like the Fifine, which is not the one I'm using right now, but it's USB, so you don't need any extra equipment. You can plug it right into your computer, and then you just want to keep it. As you want to keep it close to your mouth. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they, they think they'll just put the microphone up and then they'll come stand way back here by their board and then they'll start talking to their board because their microphone's pointing them, but you can hear right now how much my audio is degrading just from the yeah. distance that's created. And then how, I mean, look how close that Jeff has the microphone to his close, uh, to his mouth because he knows like that's the, the proximity that you have to the microphone is gonna be, you know, where that quality comes from. And so if you're looking at different monitors when you're doing and then you're coming back to your microphone and then looking at the monitors, you're losing that proximity and then that's why the sound is feeling like it's high and low and everything like that. So I would recommend if you just want to start, you know, not too expensive, $40 five fine microphone, uh, try to keep it. I, I don't like it in frame and I know that's why Sam went with the lavalier. So I try to keep it somewhat out of frame, um, but I will... I will sacrifice a little bit um, for better, you know, of the, you know, having it in frame some uh, for better audio if I can keep it, you know, pretty close to my mouth. So that would be my 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 two suggestions in a room that doesn't have as many super flat services, so curtains, carpets, whatever, um, if you can, uh, and then keeping the microphone uh, relatively close to your mouth. Okay. These are actually acoustic panels that I got from Etsy, so you can get like different types of acoustic panels that you can put up on your wall to, if you don't have carpet on your floor. Mm -hmm. I will say the one thing about the lab mic is that it's also good for short form content because I can plug it into my phone. So if I want to make a TikTok, then I also can just get the high quality sound. And sometimes I'm walking around, you know, trying to do more movement on a short form video. So if you're planning to do anything where you're moving around, the lab mic just is right underneath your mouth. So you don't have to worry about that. Okay, awesome. Wow. Wow. I feel like I've just attended a PD session for <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. Since you brought it up, what kind of camera system are you guys running? Are you on webcams, DSLs? What, what do you guys have on there? I have mine right in front of me. Actually, we have the same camera. Mine's his is black though. He's going to laugh at mine. Cause <laughs> so we both use this. Uh, it's the, it's a new, so we're, we stream with a 4k camera um, cause we also do live shows. So we, you know, set those up or when we have meetings, um, and then we both have a ZVE 10, which is a Sony camera. And then we both also have the same, uh, lens for this camera as well. Um, which gets, uh, better, it has a lower F stop, so you can get better background blur with it. Um, so you really have like the foreground and focus and, uh, better, better kind of blurry artistic looking background yeah it's like the it's the 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 sony zve 10 it's about 800 dollars, and then with that lens um it, that's about another 250 the lens is a sigma 16 millimeter um but that if you go to you if you go like all the big like how to start on youtube youtubers like that is like the camera and lens combo that they're all talking about because just the um it's a there's a lot you can do with that camera and the quality of that lens as well um that i think most people even though that's about 11 1200 dollars most people are not gonna be able to tell the difference between that and a 
$6,000 camera. Um, and so I think that's going to be more than enough for, for just about most people. Um, and then when I'm on my computer, I'm using the uh, Shure MV7 um, USB. It's a USB and XLR, but I use the USB uh, aspect of it because it allows me to use a certain app to add compression to my voice and a little bit of equalization. So it sounds a little bit more like bro broadcast radio um, whenever I am doing a, a StreamYard live stream or going on a Zoom call or something like that. There's certainly a lot of things to consider. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if somebody wants to learn how to format a Google slide, just teach them how to format a Google slide. They're, they're, I, as much as the equipment that I've have here, as much as equipment that I know we can sit here and talk about, I think it's just, it's just, it always seems to come back, make good content. People will come back to it. Yeah, and I think in the YouTube game too, it's also whether you're kind of going to be a search-based channel or whether you want to build kind of a dedicated audience of people that are going to come back and watch every video that you put up and we're more going for the latter. And so when you're on that side of YouTube, then we feel like it's really important to make content that looks as good as possible, that sounds as good as possible, that's entertaining and interesting to watch because we're essentially then trying to compete in, uh, you know, the entire YouTube ecosystem where people are got, they got the video of Mr. Beast right there that they could click on instead, or, you know, the other music video that they could click on. So we're trying to compete within that kind of broader system to get, you know, the, the widest reach possible, but certainly if you're going for just search-based content, um, you know, I, and, and actually I think that's a great strategy to do initially because you can get some traction, especially if you have something that's relatively niche, um, and you want to do something that people might be searching for that, you know, there doesn't currently exist any good content about, um, then you can start to rank for that content. And that's actually the strategy I used in the beginning, I wasn't trying to be like a, a full-time, you know, YouTuber and that transition, but that transition didn't happen until we made like a you know, hundred plus videos. You just mentioned two different types of videos. You said search-based type videos or search-based type channel. And what was the other one? Uh, just discovery-based videos. So videos where, well, I mean, so we actually... So you would have, you have community-based videos. So videos that are really for your audience, that your audience is going to, to watch that video. And you have a core kind of group of audience members that is going to continue to come back and rewatch your content. Um, and that's actually when Tom was talking about uh, a CTA in a video, a call to action in a video, asking people to leave a comment that's specifically intended to build community. Um, but then there's another kind of whole other um, uh, bucket of videos in YouTube, and those are discoverable videos. So that's not when you're typing something into search, that's when a video is recommended on the back end of another video, or when you open up YouTube and it has your personalized selection of videos, it suggests a video for you. So in order to grow on YouTube, you cannot grow with just search-based content. Um, growth happens through creating discoverable content, which um, means you have to get, you have to rank uh, and you have to basically have YouTube pick up your content and start suggesting it to people. And, and there is some nuance to that too, though, because I think about, you know, before I joined New Ed Tech Classroom, you know, Sam was putting out videos and, you know, whenever I was looking for an ed tech tutorial and I searched an app, you know, I had developed a connection with Sam before we had even met and I'd seen several of his videos and in my mind, okay, new ed classroom, that, that's that, that's that channel that has like pretty to the point videos or not these like 30 minute videos with like a 20 minute intro, you know, like, and so he was developing that reputation and whenever I would search for something and I saw there was a new ed tech classroom video about it, that was the place that I was going, you know, so you're, you're still developing, you know, this brand and this personality that people are connecting with, even if you are, you know, creating videos that you're hoping people will search for you know but as sam said also creating videos like you know if there's a really popular video in the ed tech space you know like what's a video that i could i could i could you know also create you know like five new things that you didn't know about google classroom that maybe youtube will recommend that video on the 
getting started with Google Classroom video that someone else is watching or something like that. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's, let's. So, Sue, obviously, this is going to be the first part of like a multi part series. People, you guys can just come back on any time. We can talk this stuff. But with, with, with those two different styles, and, and I'll leave this as our last topic for today, how would you name those videos different? Yeah. You said search base and discovery base. Like, if, if, if the topic that, that we're creating is how do you format a Google slide or how do you do something on a Google slide, right? How would you name that if you were looking to be search-based and how would you name that if you were looking to be discoverable? Yeah, so this, this conversation actually comes up when, because we work with sponsors, you know, wh when we talk about the types of videos that we can make for a sponsor, for example. So if you're looking for something that, is going to be searchable that people just want to find, it's pretty important that you have the name of the program somewhere, either on the thumbnail or in the title so that it's very clear to people that, oh, that I'm gonna get information about how to use Google Classroom in this video. Um, but there's another strategy, and this is something that we'll use more, if we are doing videos about say a program maybe people don't know about or they're not looking for. So we're not going to put the name of the program in the title or the thumbnail if you know, you don't care about that app because you never heard of it. So instead we're going to pitch some key feature of it or what, you know, what might appeal to people. So that kind of speaks to that strategy as well, where it's more about the pitch of the thumbnail and the title together as something that might be intriguing that you might want to click on um, and maybe inside, oh, it happens to be about this app, but we didn't say that necessarily um, in the title thumbnail. By the way, sometimes this fails spectacularly. We did one that we thought was like the best thumbnail. There's this one where it's like gold kind of flooding onto my face that we thought was like, or at least I did like the most you, amazing you thumbnail. Up, you opened up a Chromebook and it was supposed to be like, it was like secret, you know, hack Chromebook hacks or something. And then he opens up the Chromebook and it looks like it's like glowing. Like he opened up like a treasure box and we're like, man, this thumbnail is so good. And then it like did not do that well. So <laughs> it's definitely a, a hit or miss. Art, yeah. That yeah, is awesome. Yeah, to your question too, like the Google Slides thing, it's like, do you want to do a video that you say, like, you know, how to how to embed a YouTube video, how to embed YouTube videos in Google Slides, you know, versus you know, five things you didn't know you could do in Google Slides, um, or five things you probably didn't know. And so one of them, maybe someone's not searching for five. What are five things that I don't know about Google Slides? You know, but maybe if they saw that that was being recommended to them while they were watching another Google Slides video, they would maybe click on it in that regard, and it, it would be a little bit of a different, different, different style of video and different type of content. And we've done the same things like you know, five ed tech apps that you need to try or to mix things up in your classroom this year. Like people aren't searching for that necessarily, but we're hoping if we can create enough curiosity um, for our target audience, which is, you know, folks that are looking at tech in the classroom and building these transformative classrooms, when they see that, it's like, uh, I wonder what that, what his list is. I wonder what's on there. Yeah, I'd say that's always, we'll, we'll pretty much always go with that strategy over the explicit, you know, how to do X, Y, Z thing now. You know, I, I'm looking through your channel here and, you know, you've got an entire playlist that just says flipped grid tutorial for teachers, Padlet tutorial for teachers, Nearpod tutorial. <laughs> I mean, it's Those vague, right. but then at the same time, you've got, you know, five ways to use Padlet. Mm -hmm. the, you know, you, you're, yeah. I, I love the fact that I can see here the, the uh, uh, evolution, if you will, of all of your tutorials, your, your stuff. Yeah. I've been having, go ahead. Uh, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I do, uh, what Tom said is, is true as well. I do think even though we're talking about creating these videos that have these kind of intriguing mystery based sort of titles or sort of experimenting with that, because we're trying to see how that works. It's also very important to us that people know they can come to new ed tech classroom to get an authoritative, comprehensive tutorial about the program that they want to use or the instructional strategy that they want to try. So we're, it, we're never going to move completely away from that. That will be a foundation, but we're hoping that once we draw people in like, ah, oh, you needed to learn how to use Padlet that we can also get you to watch our response to the economists video about, you know, education technology, which is not never going to be something you're going to search, but we're hoping that people might just be interested in watching that too. 
there's so many different things on this topic. Uh, I, I know we're coming up on the hour mark here. Guys, please do me a favor. Invite yourself back on. I would love to. One of the topics that I wanted to hit today that I, we just didn't have time for was how do you handle all of these topics as an instructional coach? I mean, doing it as a business is one thing. Doing it as a YouTuber is another thing. Talking about algorithms is great. $400 cameras and mics, that's all great. But I know there's there's a huge number of coaches out there that put their heart and soul into making, you know, a complete guide to Google Slides. And here it is. And the teachers just don't listen to it, don't care, whatever. I mean, and, and for those listening to the audio, everybody on the panel now is shaking their head. They've all felt this. So I would love to do a second half of this. And if you're out there listening and would like, and still listening and would like to be on the show, please invite yourself on because this is just as important of a topic, right? And I, it hits me too. You, you create a YouTube video, it works, it doesn't work, but you share that video in a tech coach newsletter and nobody cares, nobody clicks on it, nobody, whatever. How do you do that? How do you succeed? Uh, Sue, we got to book this for some future episode of Ask the Tech Coach. Oh, my goodness. Yes, we need part two soon. So look out for that. <laughs> Guys, I, I, I want to respect everybody's time who's also listening and for everybody who's here. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, Sam, I know we've, we've said it a couple times here, but where can we find all the great stuff you're doing? Uh, best place to go is straight to our website, newedtechclassroom.com, because that's the portal where you can access our main YouTube channel. We also blog occasionally about technology. We have free courses, paid courses. We have a brand new, fully interactive, personalized uh, teacher training program we're building called 21st Century Teacher that's soon to launch. You can find out about that on our website. We also have a uh, lesser well-known student tutorial channel that you can access through our website as well. So uh, newedtechclassroom.com, you can find everything you need. Tom, same links, different links? Where do you wanna? What, what? I would say the only difference is like we, I have, you know, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Gibson EDU. And then Sam, I think has got his own personal Twitter. And then, then we've got the company Twitter and then we're like, what goes on which one? And so <laughs> Amy, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Where can we learn about all the great things that you're doing? Oh, um, well, I do some, uh, I post on Twitter right now. I'm not as, as big on it, but it's at Amy Foose. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I need to go back more to my, YouTube channel, but it's called teacher tips in three minutes or less. Um, so hopefully you guys just inspired me to like kick it back up and start going again. So right <laughs> I on. really appreciate this and don't stop what you're doing because people like me who's out there teaching teachers um, just about how to, how to use digital tools and instruction. I, I you guys are my textbook. So uh, please don't go anywhere. Keep going. <laughs> we will. Thank Sue, you. that's what makes this podcast special. That's what oh makes goodness. us been, you know, makes us awesome. That's why we've been doing this for 10 years now, yes. making sure that, uh, you know, it is a place for teachers to help other teachers. And this is a great example of all that stuff. And if you guys are out there listening, please share this episode with everybody else. Um, I would tell you to like and subscribe, but I'm going to talk to you now about another podcast that we have. Is that the right way of doing it, Tom? Go for it. Yes. <laughs> we, we did episode one. No, no. <laughs> Sue, where can we learn more about the great stuff you're doing? Well, look for me over on Twitter at SV314DWS and over there at my YouTube channel. I'm at Susan Vincent's Tech Imaginations. And we will take this opportunity to say thank you guys so much for taking for, for taking time out of your opportunities. I can't talk. It's been an hour-long show. <laughs> thank you guys for making TeacherCast a part of your professional development. And on behalf of Sue and everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Fredberry. Reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to Ask the Tech Coach, hosted by Jeff Bradbury of the TeacherCast Educational Network. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at AskTheTechCoach or online at www.askthetechcoach.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.